0: Hi, this is Alan Ruck, and you're listening to
1: Two True Freaks, for us freaks.
2: And Chris Honeywell.
1: Hello and welcome to Star Trek Monthly Mondays on Two True Freaks. I am Scott Gardner, and joining me is my best friend Chris Honeywell. Yo yo yo! <laughs> so, so, what do you uh, what do you guys think of that new opener? That's uh, that will be the uh, unless you absolutely hate it or something. That will be the new opener for Star Trek Monthly Mondays. I hope you like it. I did it myself, and I'm pretty proud of it. I think it came out really awesome. Joining us later in this episode, we will have a special guest for our brand spanking new Star Trek The Next Generation segment, but that's uh, that's a little over an hour from now. In the meantime, uh, what do we got, Chris? Anything? Oh, just tons of Star Trek. <laughs> Tons and tons of Star Trek. Well, actually, I think we're not going to screw around, and we're going to get right into the meat of the episode. But Before we do that, I just want to throw out real, real quick. You and I are both buying John Byrne's Star Trek um, Romulan's Schism, put out by IDW, and both really, really enjoying that. And I just want to mention to folks, if you have not read... Burns, one of Burns' prior projects was a two issue miniseries by IDW called Romulans, The Hollow Crown. I highly recommend that series because it really leads directly into this newest one, this Romulan Schism. So uh, I had to go back and reread it because, as much as I'm enjoying schisms, there were portions of it I was like, I don't well, quite know yeah. what's going on here. I, I know I should remember this character, and I don't, and all that. So I went back and reread uh, *Hollow Crown*, and now the whole thing makes sense. So, yeah, I would definitely recommend uh, that before you get into *Schisms*. But man, it's really—it's good. If you're itching for some solid, classic Star Trek that that feels true and is just totally awesome, definitely check it out. Because man, it's good. I'm really enjoying that series. I concur. <laughs> well, do we want to get straight into uh, to a book review? Sure, we might as well
2: Sorry, I was eating a Twinkie. Hi friends, it's me. Orca Stay free. And this is the Orca book club.
1: All right, yeah, I
0: heard you got a new book recently.
1: I did. Our good friend, Mike Poteet, published Star Trek author, Mike Poteet. Gravitas. (laughs) Yeah, he brings the gravitas. He he goes by Biblio Mike on the comicforums.com and on our uh, forum, our Two True Freaks forum. He graciously sent me a book that uh, he uh, tipped us off to a while back when we had him on one of our episodes. It's a book called Star Trek Burning Dreams by Margaret Wander Bonanno. And it is basically the life story of Captain Christopher Pike. And I, I finished reading it not long ago. And I just got to say, and this is not just me buttering up Mike Petite, I promise, Damn, this was a good book. This was one of the best Star Trek books I've read in a hell of a long time. It was really, really good. And, you know, I was a little bit nervous to read it because, yes, I like the cage and the menagerie, and, yes, I like Captain Pike, but the whole premise of this book is basically Pike's life story, and in a lot of ways it picks up from when Crippled Pike is taken back to Talos IV and and it tells the rest of that story and there was half of me going how interesting is that gonna be you know well I, I couldn't have been ro- more wrong about that it's really interesting the way they that, that she writes this book and the way she pulls off the story it was just it was really really interesting the problem is is that if I if I say too much I'm gonna give the whole thing away and I, I'm absolutely not gonna spoil this book you gotta just read it but uh couple of things about it it takes place for the most part you know the 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 quote-unquote present day portions of it um take place after the supposed death of kirk in generations but before next gen so it's somewhere in that that period of time and uh the 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 opener basically the wraparound portion of the story involves spock being contacted again by the Talosians, and they want him to come back to their planet. But they don't tell him, they don't give him any details other than basically come quick. And so Spock fears that he's been summoned because something has happened to Captain Pike, and he fears that it's something bad, most likely that, that Pike's dead. But he doesn't know anything beyond that point. So he basically... In a scene very similar to the menagerie, he has to re-endanger himself and his his situation to get back to that planet, and so that was a nice callback, you know, to that to that menagerie story. And we get the, the, the life story of Captain Pike. We really get into the character's head. It f- totally fleshes him out as a as a real character, a very likable character. And we get a lot of backstory on Vina as well, and I really enjoyed both of those aspects. You know, because Vina, really, you know, there's not much to her in the cage or in the menagerie, but this book really, really fleshes her out a lot. Um, it does touch briefly on the Pike duplicate, which I, I was, uh, I think, Bibliomike had said when he told us about this book that they that they don't touch on that but they actually do it's just not fully or satisfactorily addressed in my mind but it, but it is touched upon the fact that you know a, a pike duplicate was left behind at the end of uh, at the end of the cage and it's it's just kind of handled in a strange way to where vena seems to realize this but she seems to be okay with when the real Pike shows up it's, it's a little bit awkward that was the only part of the book that I thought was a little bit weird and a little bit clumsy but the rest of the book was really fantastic I really enjoyed learning the backstory of Pike and the way the book is paced and the way the book is laid out ultimately really brings out the tragedy in the accident that, that eventually disfigures Pike and the whole reason he winds up in the wheelchair and winds up having to be taken back to the Talosians. it Once you get to know his character and, and his life and his adventures, it just really makes that much more of a punch in the gut than it ever was before when when this terrible thing happens to him. And I'm not going to spoil how the book ends other than to say... It's a great and totally classic Star Trek-style ending. It it really was very fitting and just a fantastic read. So, uh, again, I want to thank Mike Petit for sending me this. I really, really did enjoy it, and I give it my absolute highest recommendation. If you're looking for a good, solid Star Trek read that's going to take you right back to being a kid sitting in front of the tube watching classic Star Trek, man, this is the book for you. It was great. And that is Burning Dreams by Margaret Wander Bonanno. Read it! I like Pike.
2: (laughs) This has been the Orca Book Club.
0: Hey, I think we're about ready to go into our latest uh, Star Trek DC comic.
1: Yeah. Now, I'm looking forward to this because this this is good stuff. This is going into uh, an origin story, basically. This is uh, DC Comics Star Trek number seven, cover dated August 1984, cover by Dan Day and Dick Giordano. Depicting, it's just a—it's a real classic cover. It's really cool. It's got the upper half of it is uh, Kirk, Savick, and McCoy, Uh, basically just like giant headshots of them. Great shot of the Enterprise, and the lower portion is kind of a strange one. It's Mister Spock standing among all these like space-suited Federation guys. So it's kind of—it's kind of a weird. Design and a, and a weird mishmash of characters, but it, it looks really cool. I, I like the way you know the art is and the and the coloring and everything. It's just uh, it's it's iconic. This one is written by Mike W. Barr. The interior art is by Eduardo Barredo and Ricardo, or excuse me, Ricardo Villagran. The art team is different on this one because, of course, at this time, the regular artist of the title. Was working on the uh, Star Trek 3 The Search for Spock movie adaptation. Speaking of which, I'm just going to throw out there real quick that at the end of this storyline that starts in this one, this, there's a new storyline that starts in this issue, concludes next issue, number eight, and then beginning with issue number nine, we are suddenly, we go from being pre Star Trek 3 to post Star Trek 3. So what Chris and I have discussed and what we have decided to do is we are going to record and lay out for you a special episode in which we are going to review both Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and Star Trek III, The Search for Spock movies. And we'll probably even touch upon the uh, the Star Trek III um, comic book adaptation and we'll have all of that done and out in time for when we make that jump to uh, to issue number nine. So listen for that. We're really excited about it, and I think it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun because I love both of those movies, and I know Chris does too. So, oh yeah, right, yeah, oh yeah. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that. I haven't that.
0: watched Star Trek three in a long time too, so I'm looking forward to rewatching that.
1: Yeah, I love that movie. I mean, I love them both, but Star Trek three just just oh, I love it. I love I love that movie. So anyway, original cover price on this one is 75 cents and the story is entitled Pon Far and right off the bat I realized that Pon Far is actually misspelled. It is misspelled throughout this entire issue which I got a real kick out of. Anyway, the story synopsis on this is we open to an absolutely beautiful splash page of a very hot looking and very sweaty looking Savick She's in her quarters and trying to convince herself that she is a Vulcan and that there is no pain. It's kind of the classic thing that Spock would do whenever he was wigging out. She gets a call from Uhura reminding her that she is due in the landing bay and she snaps at Uhura, then dons her uniform and storms on out. A shuttlecraft arrives bringing Kirk's son David and also providing a possible explanation of sorts for uh, why we won't be seeing... David's mother, uh, Carol Marcus, in the upcoming film, Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. Kirk throws an elaborate reception banquet in David's honor, at which he gives this toast, and he wishes confusion upon what he identifies as our enemies, meaning the Klingons and the Romulans. And this pisses Savik right off, and she leaves in a big huff, and she you know, screams a reminder at Kirk that she's half Romulan. So, Kirk and uh, and and uh, Doctor McCoy kind of compare notes, and Doctor and McCoy hints to Kirk, who seems really he seems kind of dense and a little bit out of character to me in this issue. Kirk does, but anyway, McCoy hints to him, you know, that he thinks he knows what's up, and Kirk, of course, doesn't have a clue. And Kirk and McCoy, they go to Savick, you know, they go to her quarters. And McCoy confronts her and asks her point blank if she's in heat. And Kirk is stunned by this revelation, which, again, seems like, you know, Kirk's not usually this slow. I mean, they've been through this shit before. It seems like he should be a little bit quicker on the uptake to me. But anyway, he, he's stunned by this and he says that he thought that only Vulcan males experience the ponfar because of course that's all we as fans have ever seen too is the time that Mr. Spock went through it and that sets Savik off again and she you know she tells him that no you know the women have to go through it too and then she gives this uh this really cool flashback tale that I really enjoyed and it's uh you know i'm assuming that this tale takes place sometime between the pike and Kirk captaincies of the Enterprise, but it's never really made clear. It just says that Spock was uh, on temporary assignment between tours of duty on the Enterprise, so it's not very specific. But anyway, in the flashback, Spock encounters a very young and practically feral Savik, and she's living at this abandoned Romulan base whose inhabitants have been left to die after the Empire declared the settlement unsuccessful. And Savak is taken by Spock to Vulcan. And Spock leaves her in the care of his parents, Sarek uh, and Amanda. And, you know, she gets older and everything and she's eventually pledged at a very early age to a Vulcan boy named Zahn. And she wraps up her origin story and then officially requests leave to return to Vulcan so she can carry out the, the Ponfar ritual. Shockingly, Kirk denies her request and it's just a little tease to the audience basically what he does instead is he just orders a course change to you know Spock's planet and they set up at set off at top speed to go to Vulcan so all of this talk of their deceased colleague Mr. Spock has put Kirk and McCoy into kind of a funk and they go and they have a nightcap to toast absent friends and we get a really, really beautiful page of the Enterprise arriving at the planet Vulcan and being welcomed by Vulcan Space Central. Savik continues her wigging out, and eventually she, Kirk, and McCoy beam down to Sarek's house. I can tell right away that something's not right with Savik, and, and he knows what's going on. But he regrets to inform all of them that Zahn is off-world, and he's on some secret mission that Sarek can't talk about him. Savik gets all pissed off and she snaps at Sarek and they have a little exchange in which he speculates that the reason that Zahn wasn't biologically summoned back to the planet the way that she was was that this is his second bonding and that it didn't take as solidly with with Savik for whatever reason. Regardless, Sarek is forbidden from revealing where Zahn is, but in a nice little like wink-wink, nudge-nudge type of scene... He leaves the room hinting that the information to all this may be on his computer. And what a shame that it is that none of them know how to work this particular style of computer that he's got. But Savik does know how to work it. Sarek full well knows all this. So while he steps out of the room, she gets busy on his computer. And so he's kind of helping them without helping them. Sarek goes and he checks in on his wife, Amanda... And she's absolutely frantic about her husband speaking to Kirk about something called Spock's Katra. And of course, we know where that's all going to play out. And he swears to his wife, you know, yes, he will. He'll talk to Kirk. But as soon as Sav- uh, Savik is able to get this information she needs out of the computer, she just beams out. And Kirk and McCoy are forced to to run off in hot pursuit before Sarek ever gets a chance to have his little powwow with Kirk. But he swears to himself that he and Kirk will speak of this. So Savik, meanwhile, has stolen ship and gone to warp before the Enterprise could nab her. So they track her all the way to the galactic barrier, which you probably remember from the classic episode where no man has gone before, and which they know can be a big pain in the ass. So they drop out of warp and try to keep their distance from the barrier when all of a sudden they are unexpectedly attacked. And in the very last panel reveals that their attacker is none other than a totally like wig the fuck out Savik, right? She's totally nuts at this point. She's deep into the pond far and all that, and she demands that Kirk tell her where Zahn is or die in space. And that's uh, all to be concluded next issue.
0: I, I like this like one. This Man. one, I think this is the best issue so far of these. Amen. Actually, because it had some real story you know it had some real you know they were you could tell they were getting thrown a few bones about star trek 3 well no not that they got thrown. they they must have had the plot because they were drawing the comic so they could start right here tying it together yep and uh that's what's happening plus they threw in savik's origin story which is very interesting it's a little coincidental that it has to be so tied in with Spock but it's that also sets up stuff for that could happen conceivably after Star Trek 3. Right. So, yeah, it was very it was a very enjoyable read. I was actually like wondering where it was going every page or so, you know. And yeah, Kirk ah. is kind that was one of my notes. Kirk's kind of stupid in this or clueless <laughs> is the word I use. Kirk's just kind of clueless all the time. But I think that's just a way the writer used to, so they could spell out everything about the Ponfar and everything.
1: Yeah, he he seems not only clueless, he he seems just a little out of character to me because the part where he toasts to the confusion of our enemies, just, I don't know, does that seem like Kirk to you? it does seem a little out of character. Yeah. But, I mean, I I see where they were going with it, and it was an interesting scene and all that, but it, it did just... I don't know, it, it was a little bit weird to me, I thought. But uh, right off the bat, I like the art in this issue. I thought it was a real step up from prior issues. Oh, the characters
0: and, are a huge step up.
1: Yeah, yeah, I really, really like that a lot. There, there's
0: a great uh, picture of Ahura on page 10. That's nothing spectacular, but it just sort of captures Ahura a little bit. Her hair's a little weird, but, you know, it's just, yeah, the characters are... Way better rendered in this, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the spaceships are beautiful as always, just not as you know in effect in this. It's a very character-driven issue.
1: I noticed on uh, on page eleven, the uh, artist even included the little mole that Sulu has on his one eyebrow there. I mean, that's that's oh, quite right. the attention to detail. I thought that was yeah. Pretty cool. But uh, yeah, I really, really like the art in this one. I really enjoyed the story a lot. It was it was really neat to see so many classic characters. You know, they go back to Vulcan. They see Sarek and Amanda again. You know, we even get this. You know, we get Spock in the flashback, and uh, I like how Savik is drawn. And I really liked learning about you know her her origins and everything. I like that they they you know, officially tied in the you know, the half Vulc- or excuse me, the half Romulan angle and all that. And uh, the the Easter egg or the little bone that we were throwing, whatever you want to call it, that I really liked most of all was the use of Zahn, who was you know, granted they're only using the name here, but Zahn was going to be the 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 Spock placeholder, had phase two the TV show gone ahead without. Oh, that's right. He
0: was a hundred percent. He was going to be the hundred percent Vulcan that replaced Spock.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's I, pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah, I didn't even notice that.
1: Yeah, I'm curious to read the next. Na- I have not read ahead. I mean, I read I read these when they came out, but I haven't reread the issue a- ahead of our reviews. So I'm really curious to read number eight now because that was the only thing I can remember about issue eight was I don't remember how the story resolves or anything, but I remember not liking Zahn for some reason. It seems to me he turns out to be an asshole, or he turns out to be like a a bad guy or something. I I honestly can't remember. I just remember as a kid reading this and not liking that character as he turned out. He something's up with him I just can't remember what the hell it is so now I'm itching to read that issue I mean we're I'm basically you know for anybody listening to us that has not read these before I'm basically in the same boat as you at this point because I, it's been so long I just don't remember anymore so it's it's a lot of fun it's a it's a voyage of rediscovery for me yeah I
0: mean I, well I never read them in the first place so I'm getting them freshy fresh now ah okay yeah
1: now was there any mention in this about because I thought there was but when I flipped back through it to write the synopsis, I couldn't find the reference, but this when when, when Spock takes young Savik to Vulcan and, and and leaves her in the care of his parents. Now, this was at a time when Spock and Sarek were estranged and not speaking to each other. Is that mentioned at all in this? Because yes, I can't is. remember. No, it is.
0: It is. It was despite, you know, it was one of those things. I can't remember how they worded it, but, you know. Oh, here it
1: is. Yeah, it's on page nine at the very top, she says, but I found out later that Spock broke his silence of many years to convince his father to take me in. Okay, so it was, I thought I had read it somewhere, but I just couldn't find it when I was flipping back through. So, okay, that was a dread. That's nice that they're paying that much attention to continuity. I thought that was really cool.
0: Except for warp 12. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. They had the Vulcan on Warp 12.
1: They were honking.
0: Yeah, they were just honking
1: on down the line. They were in a big freaking hurry. You know, I I think that's about all I got on this one. I, I just saw thought it about, was a fantastic issue.
0: Yeah, really, there's not too much to go over without actually ruining a good episode full of sweaty Savik. She's sweating left and right in this.
3: huh
0: Yeah, that Ponfar really... Yeah, it's like a bottle of Jack Daniels for a Vulcan. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. I'm liking it. Well, I think that's about all we got. Let's take a little break, and we will come back with uh, muds, women,
0: muds, women.
3: you
2: <laughs> Zulu dance. You can dance like Zulu. Hello. And shake your little behind. Yes. You gotta give it a chance when you do the Zulu dance, and your friends will say, Oh my! I jump around if you want to, and move your arms like a machine. Yes. If you do the Zulu dance while wearing tight pants, some people may call you a queen. The Zulu dance. Zulu, Zulu, just fine. Zulu. Zulu Now, that's ridiculous. Zulu dance is fun to do, well, but your girl may get jealous. No. Because if you abuse it, your girl will lose it and run up and say... Who is this? Ah, you can dance like Zulu. You know. But some may choose to not. No. you got to give it a chance when you do the Zulu dance and your girl will give up the... Balloon Dot. I see. Zulu dance. Yes. Zulu dance. Yes. What you say when you answer the phone. Hello. Sulu dance yes. Sulu dance yes. I wanna dance We're having a ball Thank you very much Sulu dance yes. Sulu dance yes. Everybody will sing and laugh <laughs> Sulu dance yes. Sulu dance yes. Shake that big bulge in your pants No you Thank you It's a Sulu dance You know It's a Sulu dance Thank you It's a Sulu dance Oh my It's a Sulu dance Yes, yes. It's a Sulu dance Yes It's a Sulu dance Yes, yes. It's a solo dance! Yes. Yeah. It's a solo dance! <laughs> now that's ridiculous. Captain's log, star date 1329.1. The Enterprise brings aboard the survivors of an ill fated vessel. Hey, where are the white women at? Hello. And the ladies? Is this your crew, Captain? This is my Cargo. I read once a commander has to act like a paragon of virtue. I never met a paragon. Neither have I. Mr. Walsh, I'm convening a ship's hearing on your actions. Mr. Spark will supply you with any legal information you may need. You're a hard nosed one, Captain. And you're a liar, Mr. Walsh. If you take a you'll get killed. Just have those crystals here when I get back.
0: back and now it's time for a tasty treat of star trek the original series where we've got today's episode which is mud's women yeah (laughs) (laughs) met with much much enthusiasm as one of our favorite and most awesome and just oh my god over the top wonderful episodes ever of star trek
1: meh (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, I gotta say, one... I gotta say,
1: I enjoyed it. But yeah, we'll get to. Yeah. <laughs> All right, in this one, Harry Mudd with his quote-unquote cargo of three beautiful women is beamed aboard the Enterprise just as his ship is destroyed in an asteroid field. Um, in rescuing Mudd and his women, though, the Enterprise burns out its reserve of lithium crystals. The starship limps to a mining planet to replenish the crystals mud against whom Kirk has filed criminal charges makes advance contact with the miners of the, uh, the the lithium crystals down on this planet he promises his women to the lonely and rich miners in exchange for his freedom Kirk must cope with mud and induce the miners to furnish the needed crystals before his ship's power is exhausted and the ship spirals in and crashes and that's pretty much the plot on this one yep. So what, what I mean, did what did you think? Well,
0: you know the plot. Beyond that, the uh, when you add the bells and whistles and details to that plot, it's goddamn ridiculous. You know, <laughs> now this is like the cheesecake episode, a cheesecake episode of of Star Trek. It's filled with like stripper music, with lots of like. Horny horns going wah, 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 and shots of the girls'
1: butts and stuff. You know, <laughs> one of those girls. By the way, I just found out. I don't know which one of them it is. Uh-huh. It's it's the one that that goes by the name Magda or something like that. Something uh-huh. with an M in the episode. It's it's either the the, the dark haired one or the 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 blonde with the kind of funny accent was in Playboy. Not oh, long course. after this episode, yeah,
0: of course, yeah, they were totally you know that that bunny kind of girls, you know that yep. they get in the you know, and Shatner was probably having a field day on the set, you know, just like hi, William Shatner, <laughs> but and Harry Mudd was like a total you know he was the pimp character, of course, he was he was pimping his ladies, but you know, what the fuck? was up with his like that weird chest. did you notice like because I watched the um, enhanced edition and I don't know if they cleaned too. up the picture or something but Harry Mudd had this weird like Ron Jeremy chest hair that was growing up the <laughs> side of his neck it was like this weird I thought he was wearing a necklace at first and it's like no that's like his hair and I'm like was that makeup or is that this actor's real body hair because it was bizarre and kind of creepy and he's and, just a virile virile man i never noticed it i think it's because they've cleaned up all these i think god bless those old crappy prints of star trek on channel 11 star trek because i didn't need they, to see that i could see the I, girl's butts and in a lot <laughs> a lot better and a lot clearer and through the through the fog filter you know but uh
1: well, they, you know, I watched the enhanced one too, and right off uh-huh. the bat, I have to say I loved the enhanced one in, of this because the whole opening portion with them running him down and running him into the asteroid field and his ship gets destroyed, man, that felt like such an homage to The Empire Strikes Back. I mean, the asteroid field, yeah. and the asteroid portion really looked good,
0: and he's sort of it dodging would... back and forth too. Yeah, you, know, you can have, and, and these new enhancements, the spaceships can. Instead of just being sort of like fixed ahead of the Enterprise on the screen, he was flying around. You know, he was trying to evade yeah. them.
1: Yeah, he, his ship almost looked like a like a Y-wing fighter or yeah. something. Cause in the original version, isn't it just like a friggin' ball of light or something? I don't yeah, think there's just any like, all the, to it all. Yeah, like yeah. all the other ships. Yeah, like all the other ships. I mean, for Christ's sake! But you know, uh, you, know you were, were using... talked about uh, you know being able to make up, you know, make out so much more. I think as, as well as cleaning it up and, and really making it look sharp and all that, I think they did a little bit of toying around with it because this is one of those infamous, uh, infamous rather, um, insect issues or uh, insect episodes where right. there's, there's at least one shot in the episode where, where Mud is talking. To somebody. So there's like a fly or a moth or something. The, the, the nitpickers guide says it's a moth. I just remember seeing something buzzing around and it wasn't until the episode was over that I realized, hey, that wasn't in there anymore. So I'm thinking they like digitally took it out so it doesn't look as ridiculous oh, because there's like bugs on the Enterprise. Yeah. You know? But uh, I thought that was really interesting. But I am i just want to get this the hell out of the way and get past it. But here, here's my big, you know, you guys can beat me up, whatever, but I just got to admit it. I fucking hate Harry Mudd. I know that's heresy to a lot of people. Uh, He is such a beloved Star Trek character. And I just don't get it. I don't get the appeal of this guy. I I find him incredibly annoying. And, uh, you know, to me, the the galaxy is big enough for Cyrano Jones. It's not big enough for Cyrano Jones and Harry Mudd. I think that, that it's redundant. I realize that Mudd came first. I don't know what it is. It's nothing personal against the actor or anything. I just don't like the character, and I just don't understand why he's so popular. I mean, he was in two of the classic episodes. He's in the animated series. People like the, the comic the stuff.
0: People yeah. like, that's why The Trouble with Tribbles is like everybody's favorite episode. Well, not my favorite episode, but I don't not like it. But, you know, it's why it was the most popular Oh, yeah, episodes because it, it was episode. comedic you know and Harry Mudd's a comedic character he's a schemer who gets foiled every time by his own you know greed and avarice
1: I, I know and I should save this topper,
0: talker he's, but th- that's the thing though I think that's what's wrong with Harry Mudd is he's you know he's supposed to be a con man so he should have some sort of charm to him. Right. But he doesn't seem to have any charm, you know, especially in, especially in that universe, you know. His character Kirk's a throwback, but he's a real throwback, you know. Right? Yeah, he's and a throwback was, to
1: like used car salesmen, or right, something.
0: exactly, or snake oil salesman, or yeah, right. You know, but but. Uh, yeah, and I agree with you that it just doesn't work. I thought it was just it was, you know, I mean, I wasn't like looking at my watch through this episode going, "Uh, it, the the girls are easy on the eyes." And that it, you know, even though it just gets so cheesy with the whole Star Trek where they play, you know, the music always really just like draws super attention to, it. "Here's a girl with her body parts hanging out." Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, when they walk in, you know, and and I forgot the whole catch to this one, you know that, you know these women would come in and everybody would just be like uh, looking at them, and for some reason I was getting it confused with the one with the one woman that has the like perfume or the, yeah. the drug that can bewitch guys, and I was thinking that the these Elaine, guys, Elaine of yeah. Troyes or was, whatever. Yeah, is that and, the one and you I was about? and I was trying to think, well maybe these. Girls, what was it? They had some sort of perfume on, and then then. When See, I they... was
1: thinking that same thing. It's funny you say that because I uh, I thought the same thing at the beginning was that I, I had remembered it wrong. I remembered it that the Venus drug wasn't so much making them beautiful as that making it was them working irresistible like.
0: Irresistible to men. Yeah, it was like
1: that m- shitty movie with uh, with Sandra Bullock where where she took the magic potion and then she was like fucking irresistible to men or something like that. What was that love potion number nine? that's kind of what I thought was going on here was that they were taking this drug right. and it made them like giving off pheromones or some shit that guys couldn't resist and I think it actually would play better if that was the it plot. It would make more
0: sense because yeah. yes they were hot but you know what there's hot women on the Enterprise too I mean these guys are not like shut up in, a, in the Enterprise with no women and when pretty women come they're like they're literally struck dumb but you know, but you know they Scottie actually are...
1: they play it that way in this particular episode though. If you if you really watch right. it, other than Ahura, you really don't see anybody. You don't see like Yeoman Rand or uh, or Nurse Chapel or any other women really. So right. they almost are playing it like this is a. A lonely crew full of horny guys that have been out in space for however long, and fair enough. man, they just really want to get some. And it's like, no, it's not. Fair, I mean, fair
0: is... enough. Even if even if you could accept that premise, come on, man. I mean, they act like they act like teenage, pu pubescent teenagers. They're literally like when they come on board, they're like da ba huh uh, right. ba, and these are Starfleet officers. Come on, they. You know they go to planets with beautiful women all the time. There's always planets full of beautiful women in skimpy little outfits, and they don't get they don't get all dumbstruck there. They might, you know, cop a little chubby over it or something. I don't know, but you know they you know they don't act the <laughs> fool over it for the most part. Sometimes McCoy will fall in love with a woman inside of a you know, flying planet or something, but it's just happens once in a while. This was every guy, you know, guys were stumbling over each other. Right. as These girls walked by <laughs> down the, the, down the hallways.
1: Well, one thing that could have really improved this episode a lot for me is the scene. It, it drives me crazy when, uh, Farrell and, and Sulu come back to the bridge and they both are having the man, if I got wood conversation, you know, and right, Feral acts right. like he's fucking stoned or something, and then Sulu's all snickery, you know, little schoolboy about it. And, and Spock is si- must
0: have been really acting at that point. <laughs> Ooh, <boy. laughs>
1: I'm not touching that. But uh, Spock is sitting right there. He hears all of this, and rather than being real Spock and being like "You're relieved," which is what I think he should do, he should be like "You're relieved." Get somebody up here who's not going to be all whatever. He's kind of still in that weird Spock metamorphosis phase where they hadn't quite gotten his personality down. Right. So he's got like the kind of snicker face through the whole episode. He's got kind of the "oh these foolish humans" type of, and that's it drives me crazy. I really wish in that scene he would look at both of them. And call him on it and yeah, be like, well, "Straighten pr- up and fly right or get the hell off the bridge. You I know? think the
0: subject matter maybe not might not be as much of a problem with this as the fact that, that a lot of people's roles and things about the show were not formed out. Even the the, the way they shot it was a little different in this episode. Like yeah. the first, the opening part when they're on the bridge and they're chasing Harry's... I don't know if maybe they didn't have part of the bridge built or something, but those camera shots were tight. Every right, shot you know. is tight in. It's tight in, so you never see the whole spread of the bridge. You Basically, it's almost a close-up of everybody. It's usually like somebody's head taking up the quarter top of the screen, and then there's a couple other people crowded in, and it's a camera angle, so you're sort of looking down, at. always you're just seeing a little part of the background of the bridge, and I'm watching it good. Man, this is really cramped up and and you know tightly shot more than usual on Star Trek. It's it wasn't shot in the way you know as the show went on. I guess they got a sort of protocol for shooting on the bridge and shooting in the hall. You know, right? As a crew, okay, it's a bridge shot. Okay, we can set up this way and this way we can get angles on everybody. But here, maybe they were still working it out because it's really tight and it's.
1: Well it was that th- whole thing that, that uh that Roddenberry was was owing back to the nautical. It was really submarine right. warfare in right. those early episodes, especially, you know, not long after this we would get um Balance of Terror, which could just as easily be some World War Two, you know, hunt the bis- you know, sink the Bismarck type of thing. Right. You know, it was it was that cramped and, and kind of claustrophobic you know, submarine warfare style episode, and I, I think that was a similar thing with the opening of this one too
0: and to go to the opposite spectrum, the ending of it was what really lost it for me yeah, because I gotta tell you, okay, this drug that they're taking to make them look youthful and young whatever I don't see in that day and age why that would be such a big deal anyway if there was something like that available women would be taking that everywhere you know it would be like getting motox right. or something but that whole stupid thing and it might not have been as cliche back then as it is now of like oh well you weren't actually taking the drug you just took a gelatin capsule right. it was your own confidence in yourself and I don't give a fuck man but pardon my french but confidence is not going to take those wrinkles out of your face, and not going to put makeup <laughs> on, and straighten out your clothes, and make your clothes, and like make the camera have a fog filter on it, and the music go do 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 You know, when when she when she transformed back into the beautiful on the gelatin capsule, it was just too implausible. You know, because they made it really, you know, not really ugly. But they made her, you know, uglier than just like relaxing your face is gonna fix.
1: You know, she just I looked don't know. to me like she needed a solid night's sleep. I mean, she yeah. didn't really look look hideous so much as she looked like she was just fucking tired. You know, right,
0: right. Well, the the, the other girl, the other girls were getting a little uglier than her, but you know, yeah. but it wasn't like a picture of Dorian Gray where they were like half rotted, you know, corpses or something. Which would have taken the show in a whole different other direction.
1: And well, that dark-haired one, I thought with the with the way they made her up when she was starting to get all ugly, she actually looked like a she had the, the, the radiation <laughs> thing going, like, right. like Pike something. She had some weird wrinkly, silly putty face going on. With right. her. I don't know what the hell the deal right. was like with that. The, she's like, the only one that really did get hideous. I thought. <laughs> I didn't think she was all that cute anyway. Really, I, she's not my 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 type.
0: I like them all.
1: <laughs> you take them all, huh? Well, that was you know. You can tell when Kirk when they go into Kirk's quarters. This this is like a Shatner oh, yeah. fantasy right there. It's all three right there, all three types right there in his in his quarters. Just like, you know, I'm almost expecting him to be like, um, all right, Harry, come back in an hour, you know.
0: Yep, Harry, I'm going to talk to the ladies and debrief them. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> I may even debrief myself
1: <laughs> if it comes to that. Now, I like some sorry and brandy. I like the shot that we get cuz I don't remember seeing very many of them. Of right at the beginning of the episode, Kirk goes up to Spock station and is looking yes. in Spock's viewmaster. I don't know what that's all about, but that was actually really cool. It gave us a great shot that you don't see very often, but at the same rate what the hell is with Spock down? In, you know, I mean, Scotty's right there at the the transporter platform, and then Spock's got to go down there and horn in on the action. So it's like I, you know, I can yeah, actually. He doesn't Spock, even care. Scotty, you know, started to develop a little bit of resentment to Spock because it seemed like Scott, Spock was always coming down to like show Scotty up.
0: Oh, give him he, the the spot cock block.
1: <laughs> well, not so much that it's like you know he does the same thing in like Star Trek the Motion Picture you know Scotty's trying to get the engines worked out and it's not like he's incompetent or something it's that Kirk is pushing him too fast to get well, shit done because
0: Vulcans are like robots or as in this episode Vulcanians yeah. are like are like robots you know they're they they're faster and more efficient than humans so i guess i guess in the future the like Scotty is man enough to go like oh, okay Spock can do things that I can't do in the time that's needed to be done just like in the last episode or segment of this episode where Data will will put chips into a slot because nobody else can do it as fast as him ah uh, yeah that's what I'm thinking and Scotty the professional that he is just like seeds to Spock and anyway Spock's like number one anyway so he, he's almost like the captain Spock's kind of a micromanager, you know. Yeah,
1: I always imagined it would kind of suck to actually be under Mister Spock because he he does seem like he'd be kind of a prick to to deal with, you know. Yeah, and there's he, actually an episode or two where where some of the junior officers do bitch about Spock. I like that. I it adds a tone of realism to it to me.
0: Yeah, it would be a pain in the ass. He'd never he could never get like joke around rapport with him like you know I mean Kirk and, and McCoy do but you know right certainly not some guy on the ground isn't going to you know Spock's going to come in and say <coughs> pardon me I expect you to do this do right this by this time that's but that.
1: I, I mean we've all had a boss that you know that unless they were a complete fucking asshole, you know, you, you tried to get some shit over on them just by appealing to their humanity. Yeah, man, I'm sorry I'm late, but you know, I, I fucking had a fight with my girlfriend, or yeah, you know, you know how that gee, is. I just don't, you know, I was up fucking drinking all night, and I'm I'm just my games, you know, shit like that, and that fucking shit would not fly with Spock because no. he wouldn't, you know, he's Mister fucking efficient and he doesn't relate to you on a human being level. So you're not going to appeal to him like, like as one of the guys or on an emotional thing of right. you know relatability or whatever. He's you know he's expecting you to be there, do your fucking job one hundred and ten percent every single day, and he's not going to cut you any slack.
0: And oh yeah, that would suck, man. And then when I've the pot worked... far hits, man, fuck.
1: <laughs> uh, a couple of things I noticed in this one. You know, we got Farrell sitting at the Navigator station, which I actually like him. He's one goofy-looking motherfucker, but I really yeah. like him. It's actually cool. But I'd swear that the first two times that Kirk addresses him, that he calls him Mister Mister, either Mister Carl or Mister Clark. I could swear that's what he says. He
0: could very well. You know, he could have. You know, but you you're would not think that known for being perfect with that continuity. Yeah, you're, that's true. You're working that's out true. who the extras were going to be. Because, I mean, at that point in Star Trek, unless you were one of the main characters, you didn't know whether you were coming back week to week. When you were, fer- yeah. If you were Feral, you know, you were just praying every script that came around. It's like, oh, good, there's two extra guys who don't get killed. Maybe one of them, they'll change the name to Feral because they've used me before, you know? Right, yeah. We might as well have that similar face. But there were lots of people who were, you know...
1: I think there's at least one guy too that uh that gets killed and then we see him again later on uh-huh. too. So yeah. <laughs> oh
0: it's stuff his like brother, that. yeah.
1: I noticed uh Uhura still had her gold uniform in this one too. She hadn't yeah. switched to the to the red. To the red. Yeah. And uh I was so proud of myself. I, I usually really stink at like continuity errors and stuff, but I caught a good one in this one where uh when the girls first beam aboard and they're showing everybody's, like, Dah! expression, you know, because they're all dumbstruck and everything. Uh huh. And they, they do a close-up on McCoy having that, you know, just totally, you know, mesmerized by these beautiful women. And they, they do a close-up on him. And the close-up shot that they use is actually from a scene later in the episode where he's got on his, that shiny... I don't know what the hell the material is, but that sh- that short sleeve shiny uh-huh. shirt that he wears a lot of times—he's he's got that on—and I think in the background it's even like sick bay in the background. Yet this is all happening in the transporter. In the transporter. Room, room. He's got his long sleeve shirt on, so it was like a little continuity continuity thing that I guess you just weren't supposed to catch or Whoops. whatever, but I just happened to notice it this time Whoops, and was I like, didn't hey, catch it at all? Cool. Yeah but uh, that's about all that's I got. about, about you know, all I got, too. You know, yeah. I don't hate it. It's not like it's a horrible episode. It's just...
0: It's I not. prefer the other mud one. Is a, Not that I like the other mud one, but the other mud one has is gonna have a little more meat for us to tear into. And it's yeah. got hardcore, fantastic mud.
1: See, I really, really, really <laughs> don't like that episode, and a lot of it is just because I, you know, his wife really is annoying as hell, but... Yeah, you know, like I say, this isn't a bad one. I, I like the I like some of the subplot in the in the aspect of you know the enterprise is in some serious shit in this episode because if they don't get these crystal things they need, you know they're literally gonna like run out of power and crash into a planet. That's actually pretty cool, and I like that part portion of it. And I like a lot of the scenes once they go down to the planet and you know they've got to deal with uh Childress and all that. Some of that stuff's actually pretty interesting, but it's just. It's This is one of the, the episodes that suffers from datedness. It, it just feels like a really old-timey yeah. TV show because it's really slow-paced. It's kind of boring in parts. I hate to say that about a Star Trek episode, but it really moves slow and kind of boring and then, you know, throw in... Harry he, Mudd, who I don't yeah, know if throwing it's. throw in
0: Harry Mudd and the bunnies, and it all looks very 60s. Because they're yeah. all dressed like little bombshells for their Playboy layout, you know? And but I mean, they is have Harry. 60s
1: hairstyles and everything. Is he supposed to be funny? Yes. See, that's my problem, is I don't find him funny. He's, I just find he's him He's supposed annoying. to be a lovable rogue. Yeah, see, I, I don't know. He's
0: been slightly annoying, too. He's not yeah. supposed to be a completely you know you don't want to see him die and you don't want to see right. him go to jail at the end of the episode but you right. know you don't, you, you don't want to hang out with him for you know forever he's not exactly a protagonist he's just yeah he's a foil he's a foil for Kirk
1: see I know that, that Cyrano Jones is much later but I think that actor and that character fill that role of someone who's a lovable rogue much better than Harry Mudd I just think he's I think Cyrano Jones is an actual likable character whereas to me Mudd's just not there's something about that character that I just don't get the appeal of hes he's kind of smarmy and kind of fake and I just don't think he yeah. fits well with the start. I don't think he's a good fit for Star Trek. He he seems like just too much of a throwback to like, like a like a during like the pirate days or something. Right. You know what I right. Mean? Or, it, yeah. So,
0: or to an episode of like Bonanza where he's the guy who rides and he's the bad preacher. <laughs> you know, the cheesy preacher or the cheesy snake oil salesman who rides into town and hello, folks. You know, do you have yeah. canker sores?
1: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I just. Yeah. I th- I think it. I don't think it helps. It was you know,
0: I don't... almost kind of a WC Fields sort of character. You know, I think he was supposed to be but with, but I, I just don't think he, he he lacked the charm part of that 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 type of character that they usually that they almost have to have. See, I guess I to ne- me and you, <laughs> maybe yeah. not to all I have of a nasty people.
1: feeling that that's going to be that our our opinion is going to be unpopular with a lot of fans because I know that he is really beloved. I mean, just look at when we were at Dragon Con and and there was that announcement that you know they they were going to do an episode of Phase Two and with they Harry asked Mudd. that one guy to be Harry Mudd and everybody went nuts. And I was like, oh Jesus, I don't want to see a Harry Mudd. I just don't. I don't think. I don't find him funny or interesting. He's just. You know, he's a creepy old fat guy. I just well, don't find him intriguing at all. Well, I know but,
0: that guy. I know that guy was older and he was kind of chunky, but I don't know if he was creepy or not. But maybe he'll be a better. Maybe he'll pull the. Maybe he'll really uh, sell it. Yeah, maybe he'll really take over that role and be Harry Mud the the way Harry Mud was always supposed to be, and it'll be great. Who knows? Yeah, we'll find out once they once they make it, but.
1: Well, I want to hear from our listeners. I, you know, chime in. You know, send us email or, or go on the forum, whatever. You know, leave us a, a voicemail. I want to hear from listeners. I want to know what listeners think of Harry Mudd. Are we dead wrong? I mean, do you love the guy? You hate the guy? You're indifferent to? Him? I, I really am curious what our listeners will will think about that because, you know, this character has such a such a legend about him, and and I know that he's got his devoted fans, but I want to know what our listeners specifically think. Are, are we right or are we wrong or? whatever so let us know and with that i think we got should anything take, else no
0: i think we should warp ahead 78 years Yep, yeah, for the next generation yeah. holy shit you know what we forgot man <laughs> it's time to figure out what we're going to do next.
1: Oh, that wouldn't be good come next month we don't uh, have an episode to review. People,
0: people need to know. I'm firing up the, the generator, well, the generator that runs the Star Trek computer that we got off the original Bridge of the Enterprise. And like I said on our forum, a lot of you may not listen to our forum, but it's coming up on Christmas time, and I've actually jury rigged an old shortwave radio up to the Star, Star Trek computer and have been in contact with Santa Claus and his people. So if you write us letters to Santa Claus, we will get them to them and he will read them on the show. So get on that. I think this thing's about ready to kick out the number, yes, number 36. Three
1: number th- six. Number 37. 30- oh,
0: no. <laughs> I love it when I hear that.
1: Number is 36 it. is Cat's Paw. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Can't
0: get them out of your head, man. Can't get them out of your head. Oh, man, it's got my favorite puppets at the end.
1: <laughs> oh, God.
0: All right. we'll <sighs> see you next time for Cat's Paw. <sighs>
2: On the next episode of Star Trek The Next Generation... They're all dead. A contaminated ship is spreading a strange disease. It is definitely like alcohol
3: intoxication.
2: And the new Enterprise is on a galactic collision course. What we're seeing, sir, is a huge chunk of the star's surface blown away. Heading for us. Now, the crew faces disaster. We're not gonna make it. On Star Trek The Next Generation...
1: Okay, this is the final segment of the show, and this is where we do the Star Trek The Next Generation review. This is episode two called The Naked Now. And joining us for this segment is our good friend, one half of the Super Future Friends podcast, which you may find at superfuturefriends.com. Welcome, please, Adriana Ferguson. Hi. Hey, welcome back.
4: Thanks. Thanks for having me back.
1: Hey, no problem. Actually, you know what? This is her first
0: time on Two True Freaks. This is
1: the first time on Two True that's right.
0: We have a show that we did with both Super Future Friends. It's four hours long, and I can't oh, figure god. out how to edit the goddamn thing yet. <laughs> oh my god. It will get edited sometime, but... Well, that's yeah, right. I haven't listened to it since, since it was done, but it was a late night, four hour, like two two-hour session. So, yeah, but this is, yeah, your breakout... <laughs> that was <laughs> almost
4: like a hallucinogenic dream. That that uh, was. that
0: podcast. It was like See, a magical dream.
1: I'm almost <laughs> nervous to put that one up because I, it, it's it's there wasn't really like any rhyme or reason. Thread. It was just like this wild tangy crazy dream like thing. So yeah,
4: it's ninety percent me bitching about things. <laughs> that's why I'm terrified.
1: Well, it might be. I barely it, it, bitch it, it, on
4: my show, and I'm afraid of like when I bitch about something that's actually important. Like, like the tide will turn.
0: Maybe it could be an April Fool show.
1: But see, that's <laughs> the way—that's the way to do it, though. Is that's how I do it. I go on other people's podcasts and bitch and complain about stuff. So that's, that's really true. the way to do it, right there. It's less traceable. Yeah, don't,
0: don't shit where you eat, so, as the old saying goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: All right. So you said you have a uh, a
0: synopsis for this episode? Yes, I did write up a quick little uh, synopsis. We'll see if it makes any sense here. I did write it late, late at night, as I was I was watching this like for the second time recently. I, I like this episode anyway. Uh, the Enterprise picks up an inhibition destroying party bug from the science vessel Vescal? Vesco- Hi, I'm Popeye. <laughs> Vescal. I'm Popeye the Sailor, and uh, the science vesicle Siakowski, whose crew was uh, either frozen or blown out into space. This is an effect caused by weird gravity shifts that we saw in the Naked Time on the original series. But, uh, you know, unfortunately McCoy's cure isn't working in this condition. It's a a different condition. So um, fun mischief and life-threatening situations ensue as the virus or effect sort of takes over the Enterprise and Dr. Crusher races against time to find a cure before the stellar collapse burns up the Enterprise. Wesley ends up using his toy tractor beam to first take over engineering, but then, of course, saves the day by pushing the Enterprise off the, the vessel Sikowski C- to outrun an asteroid and the, the effects of the sun blowing up and saving the day. And that's pretty much it, except for all the details of the story. <laughs> 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 but that's the general, the general thrust of it. It's sort of a remake of The Naked Time yep. in the original series, in uh, in next generation, you know, it's sort of it's sort of like the Christmas party. Everybody gets drunk, and you get to find out who wants to sleep with each other, and you know what everybody's secret secret feelings are. You know what's yeah, weird to me
4: about this episode is that it feels like an episode that usually I think they would have had later in a series, right? Like, yes, the one where they the one where they you find out about who everyone wants to sleep with. And there's a bunch of things that happen that seem like like when he said it was the Naked Now, I was like, Really? That seems really early. And it's pretty risque. I mean, I don't know about
0: It's the- it's almost the- pretty much the first episode if you think about it, you know, the first really? episode being yeah. sort of the movie pilot, you know right. sort of thing and then and then this one's this one's the first one that's coming out in, you know, regular one hour format and all that, so right. I thought that was a pretty. I remember thinking it was a pretty bold move at the time. Right, and it and I also remember. I think it sort of announced that. All right, you saw Star Trek; it's Star Trek-y, but here's sort of how it's going to be different because it was able to be. You know, there was there was more. Adult themes in this one. There was some, you know, sexuality was handled differently Mm -hmm. in
1: it. Roddenberry had been trying to get a robot to screw somebody for (laughs) two or three different series before this. I mean, in the original Star Trek, he wanted to do it. In one of those other things, what was it? Like the Questor tapes or whatever? Questor tapes or whatever, he tried to do it. And then he was finally, you know, the, what you call it, the leniency of the, of the, the censors finally, you know, allowed him to to get away with it. Right. He, that's cool. You know, he, he finally met his – well, also, uh, I know what the other one was, was Star Trek The Motion Picture. Because in the novelization, which he wrote, uh-huh. um, <laughs> Decker does nail the Aylea probe. Oh, uh-oh. A, a robot. So, yeah. <laughs> but, of course, that's not in the – it's not even implied in the movie, but in the book, right. yeah, they, they get it on, so.
4: That's just like it's just a very surprising episode. Like even watching it, I was like, I forgot all this like things that happened in it. and I was like, Jesus, this is pretty like kind of intense. I mean, I don't know about the audience at the time if they like how they like what the like mentality was. Like, was the things that were happening were they shocking at the time or were they now surprising? This, I this don't is know one if it the- was
0: it was shocking for Star Trek because this stuff yeah. was going on more. There was more intense stuff. This was at the same time. Well, it was slightly before you started seeing butts on TV.
1: You know, uh, more more, more yeah. likely men. There's butts. butts in this
4: episode.
1: Are there? Are there? Yeah. Are you? T- you're don't... talking like. No, I think he's talking like Frozen bear butts. ass, though, right?
4: No, they're bare asses. There's like frozen butts. Oh, oh that's, right. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I was like, damn, there's a lot of naked people in this episode,
1: <laughs> buttsicles,
0: and it's
4: like the second But-sickles.
0: episode. That's how they got. That's how they got away with it. Is they could just okay, we'll spray them with a layer of ice and. <laughs> Well, did you notice, so.
4: like, everyone happened to die with, like, if you're a lady, you happen to die with your hand carefully placed over your your nipples?
1: Yeah, I did notice that. Because <laughs> yes. I really strain my eyes whenever I watch scenes like that, you know, trying to <laughs> trying to see around. But yeah, I did notice <laughs> that.
0: Yeah, they were surprisingly coy for having all their inhibitions wiped away. Yes. <laughs> well, I guess the crew on the Siakowski was... Not as psychologically sound as the crew of the Enterprise because the crew of the Enterprise just gets goofy. Yeah. You know, pretty much. They're, you know, I mean, life threatening too, but nobody's blowing out hatches into the. Yeah,
1: but if it got to the point where all. However many. How many people are on the Enterprise? I know it's like over a thousand. I want to say like 1,500 or something. If all 1,500 of them were rip snorting drunk, possibly the same type of. You know, somebody do something stupid like. You know, shoot the warp core with a phaser or something. Right. You know, so you know it, it could happen.
3: Yeah,
0: there wasn't. Much they do stupid things when they're
4: not drunk. So,
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. There's there's some colossal ones in this one, I think, but we we can get into that as far as you know our, our likes and dislikes and nit. I've got some whopper nitpicks in this one, I think. <laughs>
0: Well, this one I think had a great moment probably for you, Scott, one of your pet peeves, is data actually corrects Riker on the difference between being blown out into space and sucked out into space.
1: Well that's where I got that from when I was given oh, Torch Kurstik shit about that. That's where yeah. I got it from was from that episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm I'm one of those firm believers in that uh, you you've probably seen that poster or I think there's even a book out called Everything I Learned in Life I Learned from Star Trek. I'm a firm believer in that that everything I've <laughs> learned in life I've learned from either Star Trek, Star Wars or comic books. So
0: Yeah? Yeah, yeah. I can see that. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> All
1: right, here's a great one right here. All right, now now Jordy has been to the other ship. He saw what happened to those people. He's caught yes. the bug. He's on the bed in sick bay. He's he's sweating profusely. He knows that something's happening to him. Yeah. So Picard, Troy, and the doctor stand around, and what do they talk about? All the deaths and the apparent suicides of the Tio- Tsiolkovsky crew yes. right in front of Jordy. And I'm thinking... How insensitive is that? (laughs) You know, that would be like them standing around the bed of a cancer patient going, well, you know, the last person that died this died a horrible, excruciating death. Yeah, it actually
0: grew around his neck like a vine and choked him off slowly.
4: (laughs) Well, I think there's like a big problem with their... um, They know he's infected unless... They should know he's infected just by looking at him. Like, hmm, but then their quarantine ability with these people is very bad.
0: Like right. they It's non existent. Like, they don't even yeah. try. They yes. send them to sick bay. There's
4: even one point where um Diana like where um Tasha Yar is in her quarters and then she like just wanders away from her and Troy's like, Oh, Tasha, come back or something and but she doesn't really run after her or anything. Yeah, yeah. She right. just She's just trying to kind of like come come back, and then she just wanders out the
0: door, and then. It's like... Roddenberry envisioned a very non-confrontational future. Yes. I Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> People what? are very passive.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, passive. Maybe a little passive-aggressive, but that's about it. Yes.
1: One thing I really like to do after I watch a Star Trek episode, if I remember, you know, if I can remember to do it, is I like to consult the nitpickers' guides. Because I know that I'm not a very observant viewer. I really just get sucked in and I don't think about, right. you know, right. the logic a lot of times. But um, there was one I caught in the Nitpickers Guide today that said something about, they, they called it an inconsistency. You know, you were just talking about where Jordy just kind of gets up and wanders out of sickbay. bay. Yes. And they were like, you know, well, what about this later episode where there was like the force field and everything? To yes, me, yes, yes. the easy explanation about that is that that force field te- technology or that force field thing in sickbay was a direct result of shit like this where the guys would get up and wander off. So I don't see well, that so much as a You could also say as, that Wesley, uh-huh.
4: Wesley makes, the, makes it. like he right. Ha- You're right. He's like, he's, the thing that like, struck me about this is that he makes like a tiny um, tractor beam. And Jordy right. seems really impressed with it. And I was like, really? You're impressed with that? Shouldn't that be not easy, but, like, it seemed mm-hmm. like he'd never seen a tiny one before or something like that. Yeah. And I, I was like, man, I have, like, a, a very different understanding of what the technology is like. I, I think this episode is also interesting because, like, it seems like they're trying to f- – they're showing you different things about the characters' interactions, like um, – But but you're not really. I think I don't know if like later on they kind of abandon those things. Like Data's personality in this seems different. Seems a lot more. They gave him a lot of, uh, like not character. Like he seems more emotional. Yes, he seems way more emotional than I think. They like he seems to understand a lot more things than in later episodes.
1: Yeah, well, they, I I I think he has I, the the comparison I would use is between you know, the way he acts in these especially through the first season is much the same way that Spock was in the first say half dozen or so episodes of the original series is they hadn't yes. quite nailed down the character so yes. well, you know, to be the he,
0: continuity no-prize guy. Uh-huh. I think in the early days Data's personality... his his programming or however he was designed maybe was sort of he was acting maybe sort of autistic where he instead of actually experience stuff would simulate it based on what he'd seen other people do without understanding Ah. it but did it because he knew it would you know to keep him but as he as time goes on, and the and he starts actually experience some of the stuff that he was simulating, things get more complex, and his personality becomes more maybe fractured seeming. Right. He's becoming more. He becomes more human as time goes on, and less of a simulation of a human.
1: Right. One thing I noticed that they dropped. Thank God they dropped it between the pilot and this episode was. I don't know if you ever read this, Adriana, but there was a, a, a mini series back in the eighties that Chris and I really liked a comic book mini series. Uh, it was called Hercules Prince of power.
3: No. And he had this,
1: he had this sidekick with him. that was uh, one of the recorders, which is basically an Android. Mm-hmm. And anytime he would make a statement, he would say statement and then make the statement. Or if he asked a question, he would say query and ask a question. And data did that same thing in the pilot episode. in, in oh. You know, so anytime he would say something, he would say observation, and then he would t- say the observation. Yeah, that would be what, really annoying. It was really annoying in that first episode, so I'm glad that they quickly abandoned that, and I don't think it ever comes up again beyond the pilot. At least it wasn't in this episode, anyway. Yes. I'm really glad because it, it does. Remember. It's old. After a while. I don't
4: remember any episodes where he did he he behaved that way.
1: Yeah, it, wow. it, it's, it's stilted. I think it makes him seem a lot more. Uh, non-human you know i mean he's already it's already obvious by looking at him that he's an android so i think that that was just a, a little bit too much you know it was that next step beyond where you didn't really need that to be reminded right. that he wasn't fully a, a human being
4: another thing about this episode is that even though it's the second episode the characters kind of act like they've been on the ship together for longer than you expect right, um, right like they seem to know more about each other. Like uh, Tasha makes some comment to Troy that, oh, you you always wear the prettiest outfits when you're off duty. And um, they they talk about Jordy and his psychology, and they say, well, he's never complained about his eyesight and longing to see his eyesight thing before. I was like, really?
0: <laughs> Jesus, yeah, I would have. This may have been filmed way out of order, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. May have, there it, may have been some conference room arguments with people sitting around going, No, we should put this one up first. We should put this one up first.
1: Right. I, I think it was, you know, it's in order, but, uh, you know, I agree that I, I think this one would have been better served down the line. But I, I think yeah. what it was is I think this is another one of those Roddenberry. It ties you know, in, it into in, old in, Star Trek too. Well, well also, I mean, uh, this was yes. Roddenberry being very insistent. He wanted us right off the bat to be familiar with these people, and what better way to get familiar with somebody than than to see them at their lowest point, or to or to know what all of their secret thoughts or their secret uh, inhibitions were, s- stuff like that. I well, I see where he's coming from, the- but I still think this episode would have been better. At least in like right. the middle of the season, or way late in the series, or even another season, rather than the you know the second episode, I think. Yeah, just- I was just really
4: surprised by like they have like a lot of drug references and uh, not. I mean, just like how and also references like I think uh, Chris mentioned to the previous series, and usually when you think about them. Oh, right, and this, like, tying something back historically to the previous season, you uh, to the previous um, incarnation of it, you'd think that that would be something that would happen later on. Right. Like, but, uh, and also, like, Data sleeping with someone seems like, I, I just thought that, like, it would be more, like, if you kn- understood who Tasha was a little bit more, and you understood right. who Data was a little bit more, that would have been, like, way more striking. Because when I saw it, I saw this, like, way out of order. So I was like, "Oh my god, they slept together." Um, <laughs> that's like a lot of the stuff with Tasha and um, Scott. You and I talked about this before. Like Tasha's kind of dyke. She's kind yeah. of. Yeah, she's a little
0: butch. Yeah, yeah. There's
4: even a scene where she's walking up to that dude and going to make out with him down the hall. There's like a part where there's also a lady standing behind him. And she's more sent, and she has like a really short. Um, she has a short. She's a dress on dress uniform uh-huh. instead of the pant suit type thing, and she has a dress on. It's really short, and she's more center of the screen. And when I saw that, I was like, "She's Tasha heading gonna- for
0: that lady, yeah."
4: Yeah, it really looked like she's heading for that lady, and then she sort of like veers off course and goes for this dude instead. And I was like, "Oh, oh, she's going for that dude." I, I she she just and <laughs> there's, it's talking about the the futures being um, the Star Trek universe t- tends to like have this futuristic this like utopian future for right. Earth right 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 but did you notice that I'm assuming Tasha is human yes and she's from a colony of some sort
1: right mm-hmm.
4: but she she mentions that there's rape gangs. Well on she was planet? on
0: she was on some planet there was some sort of it was in she was in some sort of Mad Max situation. Right. Where she what was the- just she was an urchin on the street of in a chaos ridden society where there were yeah, rape game it was sort of like a boy and his dog the boy and his dog movie. And she is- that's how she got so tough.
4: So is that like a is that a colony of Earth? Like why is like uh, why is she well, not taking know. care of
0: that she might just be a humanoid gang,
4: a planet that every time they mention Tasha's past they're like isn't that the planet with the rape gangs and they're yeah. like yeah it is well, the it's planet with like the rape gangs Bosnia
0: gang. or something you know it's right, like yeah. she's from some embattled third world country or something you know or Colombia
4: it's, it's just surprising that with um, like the federations like uh, it seems to have like I think they don't usually mention like earth colonies and like earth Anything Federation-related is having, like, blah, But like, I
1: don't know that it was necessarily action. tied to Earth or the right. Federation. See, I can't remember. It just but might I be do, a race of
0: humanoids, you know. Right.
1: I know uh, that eventually we, we do see
4: that planet,
3: uh, right?
1: That planet, and we learn more about it because way later in the series we actually meet uh, Tasha's sister, and we learn right. a lot more about Tasha's backstory through her. Um, but yeah, that was one of the things I always lamented because of what eventually happens with, with Tasha's character, yes, that yes. it didn't flesh out enough of, of her, because I really found her a fascinating character. She uh, Of the core people that we start with, she was one of my absolute favorites. We just unfortunately don't ever get enough of the whole thing. But my impression right. was, based on her little speech that she gave in the, Encounter the at Farpoint. Yeah. You know about I grew up in a world like this, and it was people like these that saved it from, you know, saved me from it, kind of thing. That she was on, like, like Chris said, kind of a Mad Max style planet, and somehow when the Federation came along, you know, they they scooped her up and took her away or whatever, you know, and and so she got, you know, almost like she was like a like a war orphan or something to uh. that effect. That's that's just a you know just an impression. Mm-hmm. But I, I have the feeling that that's kind of what they were going for, you know what I mean?
3: I,
4: I just remember thinking, how did, exactly is a rape gang formed? It's like you get – is it that you, <laughs>
0: you put, get all well, these first people you to put flyers up, yeah. I know, exactly, I, I,
4: exactly. Because it's, it's not just one like it's are just an one ad in the game.
0: penny saver, you know, and <laughs> yeah. off you go. <laughs>
4: It's not just one rape gang, it's, like, plural every time they mention it. they said, there's many, there's, like, there's it's there's kind of like a union. rape
0: gangs, yeah. Yes.
4: It's like, I know that you've been raping on your own all this time, but you, there's, like, a better way. We have different dues. You might be belonging to a different rape gang at the moment. We are, rape gang, has better dues, a better due right. system, and uh, better benefits,
0: Yep, we have whole, we have lawyers. The whole nine yes. yards, yeah, yes, That's yeah. it, You
1: know, and- they got they got rape book. You know, and you you, you send a friend <laughs> with us through rape book yeah. and you, you join the. Join the group
0: it's like how, we how have is- better lawyers than the Kennedys. <laughs>
4: it's just really like how is there more than one rape gang? If like you're a rapist and you're dedicated to apparently be, being part of a rape gang, how come there's not just one giant? Apa- game uh, apparently
0: just- it's a very popular thing in post apocalyptic societies <laughs> you know it's I think it's second only to like food food killing for food and cannibalism
4: and uh, <laughs> like um, sort of gladiatorial entertainment yes style yes stuff. to right. keep
0: to keep your warriors entertained yeah. and yeah yes
4: it's like who runs <laughs> barter town <laughs>
1: All right, well, I wanted to go back to something you had said about, you know, Wesley and his little tractor beam thing. This to me is the the biggest thing. Now, I like this episode. I I just want to say that. But I have a lot of problems with it. The biggest problem I have is, you know, not only should Wesley's little toy tractor beam not be terribly impressive. I mean, yeah, it's cool that this young kid came up with it on his own and all that. But Mm. the biggest thing that drives me frickin' bananas with this episode is. is that Wesley ends up coming up with this supposed ingenious thing where he turns his little tractor beam into a repulsor beam, and then they shoot it through the main, whatever the hell, deflector or whatever, and push the other ship away, and it buys him the extra time. Mm -hmm. Why is that so impressive? Because the original Kirk Enterprise had that feature. It had a a repulsor beam type of thing, because there's that one episode... Can I I say this?
0: In a a physics sense uh-huh. how can that make any difference anyway because there's nothing to push off again even if even if you push on that you're not going to be able to push away from it because you're pushing in a vacuum you know you're just going to sort of you're going to launch that the other ship in the other direction maybe because yeah, right. don't you have more
4: mass post- and wouldn't
0: I don't, right, I don't know. Right. I don't know and, anything
4: about science. Well, there's, the this,
0: hard there's there's no atmosphere. There's nothing to push against in space, so there's nothing for the ship behind them to, to push against, you know? So pushing on the other ship shouldn't propel you the other way, I don't think. I don't know, though. Well, the
1: only, the only half-assed explanation I can think of for that, and this is probably completely ridiculous, but the only thing I can think of is, alright, say when the captain calls dead stop and then they're having the ship at like station keeping that maybe that's an automatic function of the ship's computer so that no matter what outside force is at play if the captain wants the ship to sit in one spot the the computer will fire like thrusters or whatever so that the ship is constantly in one spot so when the Enterprise shoots the deflector or excuse me the repulsor beam at it and and they're trying to push away from it they actually do push away with it from it because the other ship is actively holding its spot I, that's a ridiculous thing but that's the only that's the best I can come up with I don't yeah. know I, I think you're not supposed to think about it honestly no yeah, you're definitely
0: not supposed to think about it all you're supposed to it's all char- this shows all character development basically there, there's
1: There's a lot of elements in this episode that you're not really supposed to think about because the big thing with – and I I can actually no-prize this one to a certain extent, but uh, all right. Now, there's a lot of drama in this episode when um, McDougal, the chief engineer, which – Sadly, we only ever see her in just this one episode. I, I yeah. theorize that she lost her job because of the shit that went down.
4: <laughs> yeah, is this? But, I was like, who the hell is that lady?
1: Well, they had like a rotating thing of chief engineers in this first season, which is why Jordy eventually gets the job in the in the yeah. second season, just so they'd have a steady person in that position. But right. there's that scene where she and Riker. Spend most of the episode trying to cut their way into engineering. Uh-huh. Yes. Why the fuck didn't they just site-to-site transport into this room in engineering?
4: Yeah, there's, a, like, a lot of weird... Um, it's like, it doesn't seem like they've they've gotten their tech figured out exactly. yet. Exactly. Like, that that was my no-prize
1: explanation, their is their that tech. they hadn't come up with that yet. They hadn't figured yeah. out site-to-site within the ship, because they couldn't do that on Kirk's Enterprise, so maybe they hadn't yeah. invented it yet for this.
4: It seems like... <laughs> unfortunately, it seems like a lot of their technological discoveries are like realizing that their technology that they already have is capable of doing something amazing that they shouldn't (laughs) have realized before. It's capable of doing
0: the exact opposite of what it does also. (laughs) Yes. If we just switch switch this circuit, yeah, exactly. It's not even wires now. They just push buttons (laughs) to do it.
4: Yes. Well, let's just put it in reverse, and then it'll do the thing that we need to save us in this episode.
0: Oh, Oh, right. Well, You're think, a genius. I think... <laughs> I, I uh, Another thing I noticed about this is sound design-wise, it had a lot of old Star Trek
1: yes, like, musical yeah.
0: cues and stuff. Yeah. And then it sort of brought back the little itchy, scratchy sound whenever somebody would get infected by another person. Whenever it was passed on, you'd get a little <laughs> sound, and they'd scratch it themselves. <laughs> and there was a Star Trek record that Scott and I used to mock when we were kids with there was a scratching disease and fleavers. the fleavers and, and McCoy actually had the line what are you scratching at and it was this weird like <laughs> bad voice acting
1: it was horrible awful, yeah awful
0: awful <laughs> <Not> so- <laughs> oh, what so how
3: funny
0: you <laughs> I-, I don't know <laughs> what are you scratching at Wow. yeah I-, I-, I noticed that there were a lot of sort of shout outs to the old Star Trek and you know, yes. I don't know. I think that I think they they use this cuz this is the only way cuz it's supposed to be the future and everybody's supposed to be more maybe sexually open and free. Yes. And uh, not as repressed, but on the enterprise, you know, there's a whole chain of command, so people can't be so people are uh, sort of also probably more repressed on the enterprise because, you know, the captain can't sleep with his crew and well, let me ask know. you
1: something on that subject uh, of, of of being more sexually uh, liberated and all that. If this had happened a few years later, say like uh, around the time of the, the middle of uh, Deep Space Nine, for example, do you think the Tasha thing would have played differently? Do you think that maybe she would have been maybe not a full-out lesbian, but maybe, maybe bi? Maybe there would be a scene where well. she... They would have hinted piece, at it
0: more because that would have yes. put it... If, say it was done more in the Xena Warrior Princess time period. Right. Because right. right. Xena Warrior Princess, they never flat out came out and said hey, Xena and Gabrielle, you know, they yes, get they did. Yes, it Yes, did did. they did. Yeah, Eventually. they
4: hella like... At- when the ratings were going down they just oh, gave right. up. They're yeah, like they're yeah. gay. They're gay, they're making out they're gay.
0: When, but, yeah, but, they keep but up. Okay, before that though yes. they they used to be like very no, oh, no, you know, blah blah blah. And but yeah. I used to my uh the drummer in my band's a lesbian and before band practice would be Xena and there would be a room full of like ten lesbian women watching Xena and it was just like it was an explosive situation. People were just jumping up out of their chairs and going "woohoo!" Yeah, "Wow!"
2: "Oh no, no!"
0: You know, <laughs> so okay, whatever. <laughs> uh, you know, the the scene where there, there's a scene where Gabrielle comes up out of the water with a fish in her mouth. That's wow. You know, maybe a, They're they they're like in the water and they're obscured by a bush, and Zena's sitting there, and, <laughs> and so to Ga- speak. Right, right, right. And gab and Gabrielle goes. I don't want to, and she goes, just do it, just plug. Just hold your nose and do it, but I don't like oh the taste God. of it, I don't like the fishy taste of it, and she's just like, oh, just, no. just, just do it, so she, uh, then you see Gabrielle's head go glump down, but then she comes up out of the water with a fish in her mouth. See, you I see I told what's you amazing you about it.
4: that scene is that if a little kid watches that, they yeah, have nothing. no <laughs> nothing. <Right>. Yeah, Nothing. <laughs> right.
0: They're
4: like, awesome, she doesn't like to catch
0: fish in her mouth. Yeah, who would? Yeah, that's yes. fu- And they of would course. actually think it was funny. So it's yes. funny to everybody.
1: Yes. <laughs> Alright, while we're being rude and crude, I have a rude and crude question that I, I can't yes. help it. I've got to ask this question now. Okay. When when Tasha comes out in that outfit that just makes my heart go pitter pat. I want to know, how the hell is Denise Crosby keeping herself in the top of that outfit? Because I've seen her nude oh. spread that she was in and whatever it was, <coughs> Playboy or whatever, and she's got the pancake boob thing going on. She was, in, she was in Playboy? It was either Playboy or Penthouse, one of the two, oh. yeah. And I mean, um, she's she's a fine-looking woman, but she's got that droopy thing going on. So I just want to know, how did she stay in that outfit? Because it's, she's... It's, it's uh-huh. tape. It's tape. Oh, okay.
4: You tape it on. Not I that I've being, never done that, but I know. <laughs>
1: I mean, I remember being really disappointed when I finally saw her. And I'm pretty sure it was Playboy that she was in. Because there was a big stink about it because she's Bing Crosby's granddaughter. And so when she was in Playboy, it was there was a little bit she of a stir about that. Oh, yes, she is. Oh. You know, because he was such a paragon of whatever the hell, you know? And here, really? here, his friend you know, yeah. his granddaughter was, you know, sullying the his legacy the family destroyed by boobies. Yeah, but I mean, I saw her in that, and I was like, oh, she's just not because you see her in that Starfleet uniform and everything, and they've got her so
0: TV magic, my friend. Yeah, exactly. TV magic. You know, you, it's you like just... those pictures of the Big Macs that you see where they're putting like <laughs> they're putting like nail polish on the on the lettuce and stuff to make it look shiny and fresh
4: honestly like some people I mean people really like nudity but honestly some people don't look as attractive naked
1: <laughs> exactly because
4: then you don't know and then you could imagine anything underneath there yes. but
1: and I did I too. did
4: not think that she I don't know she's not my type I guess the I only way saying.
0: I attract women is by staying fully clothed
4: <laughs> <laughs> she's I don't know she well, how do I say this like she's attractive in a lesbian sense but yes. when I see her like being really like into dudes, it's really kind of creepy uh-huh. because she comes off so. It doesn't, butch to it be. doesn't
0: seem right. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. It seems like
4: it's like if you picture like a gay guy like really on a straight lady, and you just you have this really weird feeling. You're just kind of like that seems wrong.
0: So it doesn't it, seem to match up there. But, yeah.
4: And then when they <laughs> try to like that outfit that she wears for Data, I was like, that does not suit you. I I mean, I think she looks better in her. Her little uniform.
3: It suited, oh, I thought it suited it was to, damn Yeah, high. it suited
0: her to scout, obviously. Yeah. I just yes. saw it and I thought, "Wow, it's '80s style." Yes. There's just the, yes, the mixture of the true. hair, and in the yeah. '80s style, when people were hot and turned on, there somebody yeah. would just before they did the shot, somebody would probably come in with a washcloth. Yes. And just like washcloth down their face and neck, yes. and just sort of like make their hair a little bit. Sweaty I'm going to need to
1: washcloth down my face. <laughs> oh my
4: god, it's just I was really, um, yeah. It's the, it's the thing with the '80s is that I feel like they, for some reason, '80s clothing and '80s, because um, I get I don't know. It's just like the the style of it is like super super unattractive to me, right. and so like it's very hot, hard for the. I also feel like people I don't know, they either the way they were filmed or something did not do them enough credit. For some reason I always like will watch eighties movies was, and go, This person's not very hot, but they're treating them like they are. No,
0: what was right. hot and what was hot in the eighties is so totally different to what's hot now and the way it's presented that it always ends up looking awkward and almost ironic <laughs> sometimes yes, when like, it happens.
4: You know, sometimes like I feel that Beauty standards were different in the 80s. I always thought like oh, sure. oh, yeah. do they like oh, yeah. do they care I mean did they care more about your acting ability in the 80s because I feel that we have worse actors now like oh, cuz oh, they're I'm prettier.
0: Gonna...
4: Yeah, yeah. Right. It seems like I'll like watch some '80s movies and be like, man, this person would not be allowed to make a movie now.
1: I don't think it's just the '80s though, because I think the further you go back. At, for example, my my father brought up a great point one time. We were watching this documentary that was busting all of the old myths about the the Old West, and it was talking about you know things like you know they didn't really have showdowns in the middle of the street in the, at high noon and shit like that. And one of the things they were showing was. They showed you a picture of, like, Miss Kitty from Gunsmoke, who was a fairly attractive-looking woman. And then they showed you what a real woman in the Old West looked like. And my father, you know, being the man he is, just spoke right up and said, Jesus Christ, how did they screw back then? The women were fucking
3: ugly. <laughs> you know? I know, <laughs> Sorry, right?
1: The,
0: the men were no prizes back. If they well, showed yeah, a picture exactly. of what the men looked like in in, yeah. uh, in that time, too. You know, everybody so, was oh, kind of yeah. toothless. and uh, Yeah, so and yeah just imagine,
4: like... Like any guy you've ever seen without dental care, and like adds to it, like every person. Everybody looked did not like they were British. Care. Yeah. Plus, Everybody they thought like... you were like a witch if you bathed more than a month. Like if you bathed like more than once a month, you're like a witch or something. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's just imagine like that. how disgusting people must have been.
1: Chris, I can't believe you said that, man. We have British we have British listeners too. Oh,
0: not anymore. No, I love British people. It's no,
1: they just, all look it's... like Walmart greeters is what they look like. Oh no teeth and the No now, now all of our Walmart greeters just tuned in. Okay,
0: well. Don't worry, not... listeners. I'll get all of you at one point or another. Come on, man. We take swipes at the South.
4: Well, to be fair, like, nerds are not classically, uh, traditionally very attractive people in general. This is very true. So, like, (laughs) I don't think any of us can can really be uh, too hopeful.
0: No, I'm no matinee (laughs) idol, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even an American idol.
1: <laughs> I I hope this doesn't come off the wrong way, but I I got to say that I, I hope that she doesn't completely play for the other team if you know what I mean because I still had this this idea, this this hoped for fantasy in my head Aww. that you know was was dashed that I always wanted to see her and Riker get together. I I always really? thought that they would make a yeah, I always thought they would make a really good couple. You know, Cause they're both i
4: both kind of um
1: Action couple.
4: Yeah, they're both kind of like tough people.
0: I thought... Yeah. I I kind of thought at one point that Jordy was kind of hitting on Wesley. Where he was going <laughs> I, like, you Wesley, you are fantastic! That. You know, he's looking at you are amazing!
4: He's super drunk at the time, though.
0: Yeah, well that's usually yeah. when that sort of shit's gonna come <laughs> out, right?
4: <laughs> oh, well... He's way too young for that. That's not okay. But Right, um, right. Well, that's why he, it was I all subtext. He, I think that they they de- they're definitely friends. I mean, this is like the first time yeah. you see like their friendship sort of appearing like he I think Wesley like definitely sees Jordy as more like a friend rather than one of the grown-ups oh, yeah, and like yeah. Jordy will like play with him a lot more than right. uh, the other adults will. Right. I think Jordy, isn't he supposed to be pretty young compared to the others? He seems younger.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he is. I'm not sure what age he's supposed to be, but he's you know somewhere between like Wesley and Riker. Yeah, know, he Christ. does. He definitely doesn't
4: seem as old as like um, Doctor Crusher or right uh, that other engineering lady. What was her name again? What did you just say? Her name was
1: Mac- McDougal. Yeah, McDougal. I
4: was, there's that one part where like she she goes down to see Picard because Wesley sent that fake oh, message yeah. to her, and then. And, uh, she's like, oh, you called me down here. And he's like, no, I didn't. And, like, like, your crew member just is, like, either hallucinating or she definitely heard your voice call, like, like, ordering yeah. her to, like, you be more concerned about that, buddy.
0: Well, that was another <laughs> thing that I, I, that, that, that got me about this episode is when Wesley whipped out his.
3: Excuse me
0: while I whip this out.
3: <laughs>
0: his, um,. Picard yes. voice sampler and was like, look what I made, Jordy. I can pretend that Captain Picard is ordering me to go to all, and I'm like, whatever, man. This is, you know, I remember the first yeah. time I saw that, I'm going, uh-oh, this is a plot device. That thing's right. going to get it. As yes. soon as- and then Jordy has to just ram it home by going, well, it's a good thing that you did it, and it is. a in you the are wrong are hands, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> well, not, not to
1: mention the fact that any other time somebody would get called, like the chief engineer would get called, they'd go, you know, chief, whatever your name is, to the bridge. They would slap their comm badge and say, "Acknowledged." And oh. both she and the chief, uh, the uh, what's his name, uh, assistant engineer guy, you know, the yeah. the, the Hawaiian looking guy, they both get called. Neither one of them. Uh, acknowledges the communication. Any other time they would, and the only reason they don't do it in this is because it was Wesley using his little fake yeah, do hit yeah. thing. And you know that's another one of those things that when I caught it, it kind of pulled me out of the episode just a little bit. You know what I mean? Well,
4: did they do that in the previous episode? Do they slap their things and they well, acknowledge? Because I wonder if they hadn't established that yet. May
1: you could be you could be. I'll Maybe have it's to go
4: because back of and- Wesley pulling that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs>
1: Well, that that's my yeah. last one for this because we we need to wrap up. Yeah, but my last point for this was uh, now at the end of the episode. You know, after they, you know, the, Wesley's done his little push against the Shyokovsky, and they just put the chips back in, and they zip off, and they're all safe. Then you know, everybody's shaking and, hands and patting backs with Wesley, and smiling at him, and winking at him, and good good boy, and everything. The fucking kid almost killed everybody.
4: Yeah, they didn't kill him. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Why are they congratulating that kid? They should beat his ass and send him to the brig or something. No, because
0: everybody gets a pass because they were all drunk. Uh, Everybody gets a pass because everybody had... You know, Picard almost had his weak moment. That's another one of my favorite things that I just that want to mention cute. before I Go, where he goes, <laughs> Yes! Absolutely. That's I was an like, awesome. That's awesome. I was like,
1: What is that noise that you're making? He's <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> doing his, his butt head channels, Mr. Ed in person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
3: <Wilmer>. <laughs> I
1: wonder if that
4: was scripted in or if he, if like uh, Patrick Stewart just Be- did it. Being the like, method actor that like he a is. Word. Yeah.
0: No, I know.
4: Like, like, oh my god, what is that noise that you just made? <laughs> like, I kept rewatching that part, trying to see what he was doing with his mouth, or if she was doing something to him. It just sort of comes. Him... It just
0: sort of comes out of his mouth. too. his mouth, is yes! just sort of order, open, <laughs> it's like, and it just sort of. Sir, uh, sir.
1: Somebody turned the key, but the, the motor are already <laughs> yes! stopped.
0: Yeah.
4: Oh god, <laughs> it's amazing.
0: Well, I think on that note, we could. We can go out. Maybe I'll just make that noise to... Oh.
3: <laughs> <laughs> we, need to
1: we need to thank Adriana for joining us. Yes. And any time that you want to come back and talk, Trek, we are always so happy to have you. Just
4: Give me a ring when you need me. I'm always up for talking about the, the rape union and the... Uh,
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: And join us next month for Code of Honor, the next episode in Star Trek The Next Generation.
1: Visit our website at twotruefreaks.lipson.com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Lipson, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com.
0: You can email two true freaks directly at two true freaks at gmail.com.
1: Two true freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are now also members of the Comics Podcast
0: Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening to. Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by DeManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.
1: You got that? How do I sound to you? Because you got that weird, muffly thing going on again. No, you sound normal. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, there's a first time for everything. I yeah, guess. I
0: guess.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Your call has been forwarded to an automated oh, voice damn it. messaging
1: damn system.
4: It. Is not available. At the tone, please record your message. When you've finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. To leave a callback number, press 5.
1: Yeah, where the hell are you? I'm at tops. (laughs) Come on, you were supposed to be ready, damn it. All right, we'll try again in a minute. How do you hang up? That's what I'm trying to
0: figure out how to do. I think I have to hang up everything. Hang on. Well, I think on that note, we could we could go out. Maybe I'll just make that noise to... <laughs> we, need
1: to we need to thank Adriana for joining us. And yes. any talk time that you want to come back and talk track, we are always so happy to have you.
4: Just give me a ring when you need me. I'm always up for talking about the the rape union and uh, (laughs)
0: local local rapers. One o (laughs) five.
4: Yes.
1: I wonder if you have to. It's a great day day for women
0: when they go on strike. Yes. (laughs) We don't like the quality of women in this. Slower women. I also wonder if if they're only
4: raping like people. Or is it like, do they have a dedication to rape inanimate objects? Well,
0: those are probably different unions that hate all hate each other, and they probably fight whenever they meet. Goddamn
1: toaster rapers! You have to start out with like knots in like trees and stuff, and work your way up, or something. (laughs) It's so horrible. It's horrible. I'm sorry I even said it. (laughs) Yes, I know. Now, I wonder you, if you have to like show your union card before you get your turn or something yes. like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm live sorry. In
0: such a I'm, place? <laughs> there's like three guys holding a girl down, and they're like, "We're sorry, honey. We can't start until we get at least four more people here." <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh my we, god. We
0: need some. We need. We need four more people to form a circle and chant around us, or else we can't. Like- we can't do it, or we're, we'll get our asses kicked out.
4: It's like they'll, the, the crew of the start of the Enterprise will hear about like a grain shortage somewhere. Like we have to go help those people. <laughs> but then they're aware. they every single person on that ship is aware of a planet where rape gangs is like not just gang gangs is like a plural entity on that planet and like. Commonly known, and they're not doing,
0: doing shit about, shit about it. About it. <laughs> well, they got Tasha off there. I think actually, Picard was somehow involved in rescuing her or something at some at some point in that.
1: Yeah, I kind of got that
0: story, story too. You didn't
4: do a very good job. <laughs>